0: Good morning. This morning, it's my joy to share with you a message from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. And if you want to turn there in your Bible or open up your Bible app on your phone um, and read along with me. We'll be getting to that in just a moment. But first, I want to share with you a story by the Scottish preacher, uh, John McNeil. He would tell the story of an eagle that was snared at a very young age from the nest, and it was brought to his uh, farmer's farm uh, in a town. The farmer put uh, restraint on that eagle, and he put him in a barnyard with all of the chickens. Soon this uh, eagle picked up the traits of, you guessed it, a chicken, and it began to peck at the ground, and it lived this common life like a life of a hen. One day, a shepherd came down from high in the mountains to do some trading in town, and he came to this farmer's barnyard. He saw the eagle pecking around like a chicken. And the shepherd said to himself, this isn't right. This beautiful creature wasn't made to act like a chicken. And so he went to the farmer and he said, can I have that eagle that's in your barnyard acting like a chicken? And the farmer said no. And the shepherd was upset about this. And he said, can I pay something for it? And he paid a great price for it. He traded everything he had to get this eagle out of the chicken coop. He picked up the the eagle and he took the restraints off, put it in his arms, and he returned to the mountain. And there on the mountain, he put that eagle up onto a stone wall that overlooked the valley where other eagles were soaring in the mountains and in basking in the sun. And for the first time in that eagle's life, it learned what it was made for. She spread her wings, and with the encouragement of the shepherd, she soared higher and higher and higher. Finally, she was an eagle again. In Romans chapter 8, if you're there right now, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, there is no spirit. And uh, if you look at this uh, verse again, you you, you see two laws at work. There's two laws, or in the original language, a really good translation, maybe even better than law, is principle. There are two principles at work, especially you see them there in verse 2. And they're desires that are competing for the human heart. There is, first of all, the spirit desire. The spirit desire is the desire that sets you free. It's the desire that um, has has, has made you who you are today as a believer in Christ. And, and the other competing desire or principle that's work inside of you is the sin and death desire. The sin and death desire is the thing that the spirit principle or the spirit desire has come to solve. The sin and death principle is the terminal illness, it's the cancer for diagnosis of the human soul. It affects 100% of the human race, and the shocking thing is about it is that as hard as we work against this sin and death principle, it's something that you cannot work yourself out of. Um, it's something that's handed down to you like a hereditary disease. Maybe you think about the disease HIV that's handed down from parents to their children, and the children's are victim of this, and the same is true of the sin and death desire, the sin and death condition. Um, Parents who are maybe struggling with alcoholism or maybe struggling with uh, sexual promiscuity or drug addiction or any number, you can name a number of things that humans struggle with. Not only are those children born with those same genes that those parents have, but they're also born into that environment, that world where they, they normalize this sin and death condition. And many times those children grow up in the same, in the same way. The Bible goes even farther. It says that the sin and death condition is with the next generation from birth. And David says, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time what? My mother conceived me. It's inescapable, the sin and death condition. It leads to physical death. It leads to spiritual death with God. And here's here's the shocking part, is that even the cream of the crop, the best of us, that try to work our way out of the sin and death condition... The philanthropists, the um, Bill and Melinda Gates of the world, the people that build wells in Africa and hospital wings, uh, the church-going people, the people that seem to have it all cleaned up and all put together, the Nobel Prize winners of this world, that even they, as hard as they try to to escape this sin and death condition, still fall short. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Edward Jenner, he... Um, is credited for eradicating the smallpox and um, Jonas Salk, the polio vaccine. But did you know that both of them did experiments on children and babies? Salk on his own children. Great accomplishments still affected by the sin and death syndrome. Uh, Nelson Mandela uh, did wonderful things in our world, and he eradicated racism in South Africa but did you know that through the same efforts, there yielded a terrorist group that took out brutal revenge and murder and torture on political opponents at the same time? The sin and death condition affects us all, even in our best efforts. Winston Churchill, as he was fighting the Nazi um, regime and he was the mastermind behind a lot of the victory in World War II, uh, he, he took all of the resources of his empire and he helped the British people survive the onslaught of, of the war. But at the same time, because of that, one to three million people in India starved. The sin and death condition affects us all. And you might be thinking to yourself, I've never shot up a school or I have never um, committed terrorism against a group of people. But the sin and de- death condition goes all the way into the heart, so far into the heart, that the seeds of all of that that exist in each and every one of us, whether you're a great person or whether you are dirt, you still find yourself affected by this. And and I'm going to go into a little bit of a a litmus test for this. Think about this. Do you have an angry heart? A heart that is um, angry at someone else, or maybe it's even come out in your words, or it comes out in your posts, or it comes out in, in your life in the way that you interact with another person. Do you have an angry heart? That's the same in God's book as murder. And Jesus once said this, he said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, even those thoughts, the seed thoughts inside, in God's book, takes you to His courtroom and makes you guilty and, and you've fallen victim to the sin and death condition? Do you have a covetous heart? A heart that's always going after something else or maybe it's the latest thing that, that you need to get your hands on, the latest technology, the latest car, or maybe it's her life or their relationship or maybe it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's their house that you want for yourself and you think in, in your heart, oh, if only I would have that, then I'd be happy. There's a story in John chapter 12 where uh, Jesus, uh, in the scene where a woman pours out perfume in worship of God, Jesus' disciple Judas, he, he makes a complaint, He says to Jesus, "Jesus, if only we could sell that perfume and give the money to the poor, that would have been a lot better." But God looked into Judas' heart, and the very next words that John records are what? Judas did not say this because he loved the poor. He said it because he was a thief. We veil our words when our heart is still covetous and jealous for things that God hasn't given us. And if you have that covetous heart, then you fall victim to the sin and death condition and you separate yourself from other people, you separate yourself from God. Do you have a lustful heart? And I believe that every one of us struggles with this at some level or has struggled with this at some level. Do you have a heart that looks at somebody else that's not your spouse and desires a physical relationship? Do you have, um, are you a single person that has a physical relationship sexually with someone else? In God's book, that's the same as an affair. And Jesus goes as far as to say that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her. In your heart, you have fallen victim to the sin and death condition. Have you given glory to God your whole life or are you giving glory to yourself in what you think, say, and do? And I could go on and on and on, but we don't have enough bandwidth on our website to talk about all the different ways and post a sermon that is two to three hours long about all the ways that we break the sin and death condition, and we fall victim to it because we do, and it's serious. I stop now because... If I would keep on going down the list and on and on and on about the ways that we fall short, it really doesn't accomplish anything, and that's what Paul's point is. The law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments that we heard this morning, the Ten Commandments that I'm going through with you right now, they're powerless to do anything in your life except to reform your life. They can make you look better, and maybe you can get better at some of those things, but they can never redeem you. God's rules can reform, but they can never redeem. That's why it says, verse 3, let's read it together. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Well, you can stop right there. Look at that closely. Is God's law good? (laughs) That's a bold answer. It isn't good because it can't redeem us. The flesh is the problem, and that's what makes the law no good. Of course, the law is is good because it can make us do better things, but it can never really bring us to God because of the condition that we're in. And that's why I say to myself, um, and and, and you're going to hear this more if you come to us, if you come into Bible class, in the last couple chapters, six, seven, and eight. Talks all about this struggle between the sin condition and the spirit life, the life that God has given you. The, the law doesn't do anything for me because I'm so weak. I can't do it. Even the best part of me on my best days can't accomplish what God is trying to tell me I need to do to get right with Him. I love this quote. This is by uh, Dr. Siegbert Becker, and he wrote a commentary on Romans uh, that's great, and he's also one of our our church body's uh, leading or was one of their leading theologians and writers. And he says this, he says, The law wants to make decent people out of us, but it can't. The most it can do is to force us to lead a decent life outwardly. The law can tell us to love God, but it can't help us at all to do so. And that's the reason that God came down from the mountain. Our good shepherd visited the barnyard and he saw you and he saw me pecking around like a common chicken in our sin. And he said, I didn't create her to be lustful. I didn't mean for for him to live in this sin and death condition and have a covetous heart. To wallow around in, in, in unbelief and in sin. And in a broken relationship with other people and with God. And he's, he, he became righteously upset about it to the point where his love showed all the way. And he went to that farmer and he said, What will it cost? And he poured it all out, he traded it all every drop of his own blood in his own flesh. Because we couldn't do it in our flesh, he took it all on to himself in his flesh. Whereas he, in the flesh, never was angry for a bad reason, but only angry about the sin and the things that separated us from God. And he was never covetous of anything else, but he desired and was jealous for time with God in prayer and in God's Word. And he was jealous for the things that brought him and other people closer to God. He was never lustful, but always had pure heart and pure eyes. He was never self-glorifying, but he even says it in the gospel, I give all the glory to the Father. And then in the flesh, he did all of that perfectly, kept the law, he was crucified on a cross, and he traded his own precious blood to that farmer to bring you to God and to forgive you, to wipe it all away. There's no more beautiful thing in this world than grace. And, and here's the, the awesome thing about it that Paul talks about, is that he didn't just die for you to take away the guilt of sin. And if you're beating yourself up about all of those different laundry lists of sin that I just mentioned before, or you went through the Ten Commandments, Jesus says they're covered, they're forgiven forever, but he's also taking you in his arms and taking off the restraint and walking back up into the mountain to do what? To put you up on top of that stone wall and to show you what you're made for so that you can spread your wings and that you can fly and that you can soar. And you say, that's a scary thing because to, to fly means I could fall, right? To, to address that weakness in my life, that sin in my life is a scary thing because I have failed so many times before this. And if I spread my wings again, Pastor, I might just fail again. And you know what? If you just do it by yourself, you're right. You're going to fail again. But here's where God's promise comes in, in the next couple of verses. It's not up to you, and it's not up to how much courage you have. It's up, to, it's up to grace to do the very same thing, that forgave all of your sins, to also to live and dwell inside of you, not as a thing, but as a person, the Holy Spirit, that's given to you in your baptism, that's given to you when you believe these words. Paul writes this. Um, those, I'm sorry, first of all, I want to put up the screen with Jesus. The next slide. Let's read this one together. This is what Jesus has done for you. Let's read it together. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the freeness that we have. And that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that He's given us when He sets us free from our sin. No longer to live in that sin, but now set free to live underneath the grace and that person, that Holy Spirit that He's put inside of each and every one of us. And so, um... Condemned in his own flesh, Jesus has set you free. Verse 5. We keep on going. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and it's peace. Um, I want to share with you now just a a reading from my devotional life that I found this week as I was reading through this text, and uh, it's one of my favorite quotes from my devotion. It says this, Not only does God in grace deal with the guilt of our sin, he deals with its power as well. Sin does not leave us weak, lame, or unable. It makes it impossible for us to keep God's law. It wasn't enough for God to forgive us, although that forgiveness is a glorious thing. God comes to live inside us, by His Spirit animating us with new life and empowering us to desire and to do what we would be unable to do with His indwelling presence. This means that you do not have to fear or deny your weakness. You can face your weakness with joy because you know that you have been given grace for that weakness, grace that is not a thing but a person, the Holy Spirit, who makes you the place where He dwells in power. Grace is the Spirit desire within you. And just like that fact that Jesus has died for your sins and taken them all away, that fact that the Spirit is going to be with you and going to make you soar is just as true. He gives you the power to address the sin. And so, do you have an angry heart? If you do, God has rescued you from the sin and death condition. He's, He's taken those desires and He gives grace to that. And then He says this, the Spirit that dwells inside of you says... Instead of being angry at that person, at her, at him, I'm going to be angry about the sin that's gotten in the way. I'm going to address that and repent about that if it's me. And I'm going to open up a conversation even if it's as subtly as saying, can we talk? Because I love you. That's the spirit-driven desire inside of you that's beginning to worship. You know, we talk about worship in these walls here at church and we talk about coming on Sunday morning to worship, but Paul is saying, actually, your whole life, your, your words and your deeds, your thoughts, your body, your soul, what you breathe is the venue for worship. And so if you have had a covetous heart that runs after the latest things, or you, you desire to, to, to post things to one-up another person all the time to look better, it wipes that all away and it says, That's forgiven. You don't have to covet anymore because you have God's grace and you have everything that you need to say no to that. And instead of coveting other things, be jealous for God. Be jealous for those times in the day like your devotion life that you can say no to everything else in the world because you have grace in his word. Be jealous for time with God in prayer and say, I'm going to set aside this time of prayer because I have the Spirit dwelling within me. The spirit that's dwelling within me wants to worship God and wants to talk with God one-on-one. Be jealous for that time and be covetous of that. If it's a lustful heart, God confronts it. His spirit confronts it with grace. And it leads you to worship with the next step. To reach out to a pastor. To listen to a friend that's guiding you on the right track. To say no and set up parameters, whether it's uh, software on your computer to protect your eyes. When you do that, you're worshiping God. And that's a spirit decision that's being made in worship to him. Not because you have to earn it, because you can't, like we covered in part one, but because you can now, and you want to. Do you have a self-glorifying heart? God confronts it with grace. And he says, this life, your work, your play, your school, your grades, they're not about you. They're all about worshiping me. So do it to the glory of him. Not because you have to, but because his spirit dwells inside of you. This week we lost another pastor, um, one of the founding pastors of our church, Jim Radloff. And I remember him saying one time to me, the light that shines, the Brightest shines the farthest. And that's true of you when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, too. Nobody can miss it when you know that you're forgiven by the cross of Jesus as a fact, and you know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you as a fact. People will not miss that because it shines in your life, when you're jealous for the time around God's word and his means of grace and, and his supper that gives you the forgiveness of sins and you bask in the joy of what baptism is, in Romans 6 it says that it has given you this completely new life with the spirit dwelling in you, then nobody can miss that because you're fighting against sin and, and you're saying no to temptation and you're, and, and you're living with the spirit that's working inside of you and, and that spirit that's working inside of you is bearing fruit all over the place. I look forward to seeing Pastor Radloff in heaven and seeing all of the fruit that is bared through his life and also your life that other people got to know their Savior because his Spirit is living inside of you. God's Spirit makes you soar. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for giving us this word from Romans chapter 8 help it to work in our heart so that we can believe more firmly on the promise of grace and forgiveness for us individually in the places that we struggle help us to open up conversations with other people that are spirit moved conversations that we that we can live out this holy spirit that you've put in us not by our own power but by grace that takes on our weaknesses help us to embrace this challenge and to spread our wings and to soar in the ways that you've made us to to live underneath your grace